All right, well, we are in week three of this series that we're calling Immovable. Uh, that's intended to anchor our church community here in this September launch season in the core essentials of the Christian faith. We learned in the summer that in these essential things uh, as a church community, we need unity. In non-essentials, we need liberty or the freedom to understand and, and believe differently about certain things. But of course, in all things, we need charity. And so coming out of that in the summer, we thought, you know, we're going to give a, a few weeks just to these core essentials, these bedrocks to the, to the Christian faith. And so uh, we're glad that you've joined us today in that conversation. If you're newer, uh, not only a special welcome to you, but I want to let you know that this series in a lot of ways has also been designed with you in mind. Um, some of us on staff uh, often frequent the Subway restaurant across the street from our Glen Ridge location where our offices are located. And uh, of course, we get to know the, uh, the sandwich artists, as they're called. And uh, a few of us, you know, have gotten to know their names and, and become friends with them. And uh, inevitably, over the course of developing those relationships, they wonder what we do. And so now they all know what we do for a living, where we work. And, and, and ultimately, then the conversation comes up, doesn't it? And it did for some of us um, with our friends at Subway where they'll say, okay, you guys work at that church across the street. What is it that you believe? What is it that you believe? And so we feel like for us as a church family, this is a really important series, but for all of the Subway sandwich artists in our lives, we feel like this is an equally important series because it helps you understand what exactly we believe, or at least what is core to us. And so we're really glad either at a location uh, this morning or online uh, via our website that you've chosen to join us uh, in this conversation as well. And just for catch up, we've had two of these mornings already. The first uh, basically looked at the idea that God is real and that God is love. And in addition to that, that what God would love nothing more than is to pour his love into our lives through relationship with him and then pour his love through our lives in relationship with other people. God is real. He is love and wants us to experience the fullness of that love in our lives. And then last week we looked at kind of a contrary idea, the idea that evil is real. And that it pervades all of our lives because of this spiritual sickness, this disease called sin, this propensity to deviate from God's ideal design. But we also learned last week that because of God's love, he sent his one and only son to live as a human, to live sinlessly, to die sacrificially, to rise again miraculously, and in a spiritual sense, to conquer sin and its effects once and for all. And in doing that, he made forgiveness available to be claimed by people. And as we're forgiven by Jesus, we can experience a new life of relationship with God where we can be restored and experiencing that life of love that we looked at in week one. So week two was all about the fact that evil is real. It pervades all of us. But through the Savior in Jesus Christ, God has made a way where we can be forgiven and restored from our life of sin. And that kind of walks us into the conversation today. The third kind of anchor in this bedrock series that we're calling Immovable. And for the sake of simplicity, um, again, not just for our, our church family, but for all those, you know, Subway sandwich artists, for the sake of simpl simplicity, I just want to throw the big idea out right, right at the very beginning, okay? So if you're taking notes today, you can just write this down at the top of your notes. The, the big idea in week three is this. That from our perspective, as we understand a life with God, 
Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Now, I know that you think that's profound and you're wondering why I need a half hour to explain that. But to get a bit more specific in this idea, there are three kind of theological building blocks that, that develop that idea that followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And again, in the, in the world of simplicity, I don't want to leave these, you know, to, for you to figure out or to chance. So, so I'm just going to throw them out there, okay? So if you want to scribble these down, followers of Jesus follow Jesus because number one, they acknowledge Jesus' authority Number two, they appreciate Jesus' invitation. And number three, they allow Jesus' influence. That's ultimately what it means or what it takes for followers of Jesus to get to the place where they legitimately follow Jesus. They acknowledge his authority, appreciate his invitation, and allow his influence. That's what we're going to unpack today in this conversation in week three. So let's start again with the idea that followers of Jesus follow Jesus first by acknowledging Jesus' authority. We talk about acknowledging Jesus' authority. What does that mean? It means that we understand that Jesus is in charge of everything and really nothing else. That we understand that Jesus is in charge of everything. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter one. It says in verse 22 that God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. That God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, who's sovereignly in control of all things, has decided to entrust all of that authority, all of that control over all things, to his resurrected son, Jesus Christ. And so acknowledging Jesus' authority is just acknowledging that that has happened and that that fundamentally is who Jesus is. Jesus is the authority over all things in heaven and on earth and throughout the universe. Now, if you haven't thought about that before, I, I think that that may actually change our understanding of who Jesus is. Because for many of us, both within and outside the church, we understand that Jesus was a very uh, prominent and significant historical figure. Our uh, BC and AD you know, year timeline kind of orients around his life. So he must have had a, a fairly substantive impact on society back then, let alone today. So we know that Jesus is a significant figure. And for many people, they'll also accredit it to him that he was a good moral teacher. He was kind of like the Gandhi or the Mother Teresa of his day. But we need to appreciate that from a theological perspective, one of the tenets of Christianity is that Jesus was fundamentally more than just a great moral teacher. Not just because the Bible says that he was an authority over all things, but because he did. Because he said this about himself. Look at what Matthew 28 says in verse 18. Jesus came, it says, and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. See, Jesus said this about himself. So by definition, he cannot just be a great moral teacher. Because as a great moral teacher, if he says that he's the authority over, you know, all authority over heaven and on earth has been given to him, that he's the ultimate authority over all things, and he's not, well, then either he's not telling the truth, he's kind of lying to us, or he has no idea what he's talking about. He's, you know, kind of lost it. And, you know, theologians will say that really when it comes down to it, you only have one of three options for who Jesus is. Jesus is either a liar because of the things that he said about himself, you know, being fundamentally not true. Or he's a lunatic. He says things that aren't true, but he doesn't even realize it. Or 
He knows what he's saying, and it is true, and he, in fact, is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the ruler who has been given all authority by God. And as a bit of a timeout, I just want us to reflect on that, because especially for those of us in the church, I wonder if our understanding of Jesus starts by acknowledging his authority. And I heard one pastor say that when you, when you understand who Jesus is, you know, as much as Jesus wants to be our friend and our guide and our comfort and our peace and, you know, so many other things in the way that he wants to relate to us. I heard one pastor say, fundamentally, Jesus is not like our buddy. He's not our homeboy. He's not the big guy upstairs. Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler supreme over everything in heaven and on earth and requires our acknowledgement as people of faith, first and foremost, to respect that. You know, you think about as a child growing up, you know, you watch kids growing up, they learn how authority works. They learn to respect authority. And in the spiritual maturing process, the same thing's true. One of the things you've got to learn first and foremost, bedrock to the Christian faith, is that Jesus has been placed by God in authority. And to be a follower of Jesus who follows Jesus, first and foremost, respects that. But it doesn't stop there. And that kind of segues us into our second idea that followers of Jesus who follow Jesus, number two, appreciate Jesus' invitation. They appreciate the the lifestyle that Jesus invited people into. If you track the life and biographies of Jesus, you understand that really Jesus was about one thing. He was about saying to people, come and follow me. Look what it says in Mark chapter 1. It says, come follow me, Jesus said. I'll send you out to fish for people. These are some of his very first followers. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he'd gone a little farther... He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired men and followed him. Seems real simple, right? Jesus is walking around saying, hey, you, follow me. And they drop what they're doing and follow him. And that's the way things were intended by him to work. But it feels like some 2,000 years later that we've gotten a little bit fuzzy on what is significant, but ultimately very simple. See, when Jesus invited people to follow him, um, some translations will say that his invitation was to come and be his disciple. His disciple, the word means student. It's actually more accurately translated in our day and age as apprentice. You think of an apprenticeship and a a person who um, fundamentally embarks on a journey to learn under somebody in order that ultimately they can, you know, not just learn about that somebody, but learn to do what that somebody does. And that's what an apprentice of Jesus is apprenticing. That's what a disciple is. They're learning of Jesus, but not about, you know, electricity or or construction or a trade apprenticeship. They're learning about living. They're learning about Jesus in order to live like him. And fundamentally, that's what Jesus invites people into. As the one given authority over heaven and earth, he is inviting individual people to allow him that authority in their lives by becoming followers of his and embarking on a journey whereby we learn more about him progressively so that progressively we can live more like him in our attitudes and behaviors and our habits and our characteristics day by day by day. 
Now, why this is so significant is because last week we talked about the incredible role that Jesus wants to play as our Savior. And through the cross in particular, through his death and resurrection, Jesus can play this spectacular role of forgiving our sin and making us right with God. But I feel like in a lot of uh, situations in our day and age, we limit Jesus to that role when in reality, from a theological perspective, the role of Savior is only a means to an end. The whole reason Jesus makes his forgiveness available is so that people can be reconnected in a relationship with God in order to follow him. And the whole reason he rises from the dead, conquers death and evil once for all, and makes his resurrected spirit available is to invade the lives of forgiven believers to empower us, to give us the capacity to live his way in ever increasing ways as we follow him. As we respond to that invitation and to become more like him. And what's not okay theologically, what is bedrock around here, is to not just treat Jesus as your savior without any interest in him also being your leader functionally as you engage in a life of following him. It's called separating Jesus as savior from being Jesus as Lord. It was never intended to work that way. And you look at people in Jesus' day and age who approached him and wanted to get the good stuff out of him, but, but didn't want to do what it took to do the, the follower stuff. And Jesus, you know, he didn't have cozy words or responses for those people. In one example, in Mark chapter 10, there was a, a young rich guy and uh, he was having this conversation with Jesus. And in verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at this rich man and loved him. But he says, one thing you lack. He says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And not just because he had the wealth, but more accurately, because it had a hold on him. It was ultimately what he was putting his trust in. And because he ultimately wasn't willing to let wealth control him and instead allow the one who really controls all things to have control over his life, Jesus let him go. And that rich young man walked away as a non-follower of Jesus. He wanted to believe in Jesus. He wanted to get all the good stuff out of Jesus. Wanted in that sense to, to be a person of faith. But he didn't actually have the faith to let Jesus play the role of leadership that he invites people to allow him to play when he says follow me to say follow me presumes let me lead you let me be your leader which he already is as the authority over all things but he's allowing people to make that personal choice and followers of Jesus make that choice not just the choice to allow Jesus to be our forgiver our savior but to be our leader our example under whom we're apprenticing to be our Lord. Which then walks us into bedrock idea three today. And that is how that happens. You know, how, how that happens. Um, point number three is that followers of Jesus allow Jesus' influence. They allow Jesus' influence, meaning in a moment-by-moment, day-by-day way, they're not just living out the status that Jesus is their leader or Lord. They are functionally allowing him to play that role in their lives. 
You might be wondering how that happens today. It happens in two ways. First of all, it happens by using the person of Jesus as our example. In John 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning. The Word is a He referring to Jesus. Jesus, in His life on earth, is God incarnate. He's God's vision. He's God's instructions. He's God's message. He's God's living Word. And as you look to the person of Jesus and seek to emulate him and allow his teaching and his, an exa- and his example to have a greater degree of influence in your, li- in your life, you're actually allowing God's voice to have weight in you. You're allowing God's word to have weight in your life. But that doesn't just happen through God's living word in the person of Jesus. It also happens through his written word in the Bible or what we refer to as the scriptures. Second Timothy chapter three says that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people, his followers To do every good work. On the one hand, there's the person of Jesus that you can constantly defer to and consult and think, how would he handle this situation? On the other hand, you have the Bible as this roadmap that can be our guide as God's written word to all humanity to understand his vision of how he intends life to be lived. And in that two-step of consulting God's living word and God's written word, we can allow his leadership to actually have voice and weight in our lives in a moment-by-moment influential kind of way. Now, for some of us, that might feel a bit confusing because I I hear sometimes how people struggle with how the person of Jesus, that living word, contrasts at times what they understand in the Bible or especially in the Old Testament of God's written word. For example, Jesus is such a peace-loving person and encourages such peacemaking, but we see such war and bloodshed in the Old Testament. How can that reconcile? And for today's purposes, I want to concede that, that sometimes that can be confusing. And especially if you haven't come from a faith background, you're not really acquainted with the scriptures and you don't understand the kind of the big picture vision of the story that God is ultimately telling through it. It's sometimes difficult to reconcile those seeming inconsistencies. But at the end of the day, I want you to appreciate that these are never intended by God to be inconsistencies. In fact, What Jesus said when he walked the earth was that these are entirely consistent. He said in Matthew 5 to his original disciples, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, all that stuff that you read about the Old Testament. He said, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've come to make perfect sense of them. I've come to realize God's vision in that era of human history. The written word of God is not inconsistent with the living word of God in the person of Jesus. And the the opposite is also true. The converse is also true. In John 5, Jesus said to the religious leaders that you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. He said, but the scriptures ultimately point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. 
And he's saying again, you can't separate the written word from the living word or the living word from the written word. Together as a two-step, they serve as God's word and voice in people's lives. And it's only as we allow that voice to have a voice of influence that we are legitimately and authentically following Jesus. It's only as we consult the person of Jesus and what we know of him or seek to know more of him or, you know, recognize his characteristics in a certain situation. And like a mentor or like a consultant, allow his voice to have influence real time in the choices and situations that we're involved in. That we're legitimately following Jesus. Similarly, it's only as we use the Bible like a roadmap or like a GPS system in moment by moment, instant by instant choices that we're giving God through his word the voice of influence in our lives that he ultimately wants to have. That at the end of the day is what following looks like. It means allowing the one you're supposedly giving leadership a voice of influence in your life moment by moment and day by day. So let's review, shall we? That followers of Jesus are intended by God to follow Jesus, meaning first of all, they acknowledge his authority, that God has placed the person of Jesus over all things in heaven and on earth, including your life and mine. Number two, that in response to that, followers of Jesus appreciate Jesus' invitation. They understand that Jesus has fundamentally invited us into a lifestyle of followership to give him permission to be our leader and to embark on a journey of apprenticeship to learn of him, to become more like him. And then number three, at a functional level, followers of Jesus allow his influence as we're following him and learning more about him through himself and through what the Bible teaches we're allowing the voice of God to take root in our lives and to actually affect the choices we make, the priorities we set, the values we establish, and our default settings in the way that our life is dictated. That's ultimately what it means to follow Jesus. Where followers of Jesus, people who call themselves followers of Jesus, are functionally following Jesus. And so obviously, as we wrap things up this morning, I want us to take a moment and reflect on whether that's the Jesus that we know, on whether that's the Jesus that we relate to, on whether the choices and the priorities and the, the directional decisions, the values in our lives are being determined that way. Are we relating to Jesus as that go-to consultant and mentor and guide? Are we you know, seeking out the scriptures in that GPS guidance kind of way, moment by moment, choice by choice. You know, or are we what one pastor described as really a functional atheist where we're calling ourselves a follower of Jesus, but when it comes to the bedrock understandings, what a follower of Jesus has to agree with and believe in and allow, have we actually allowed that in our lives? You know, we want to take a moment and, and reflect on that today. Because, you know, last week was a significant wrap-up to the service, celebrating that Jesus was our Savior through the ceremony of communion and celebrating the taking of that bread with the, the, the drinking of that cup of juice, symbolizing the wine of the new covenant of Jesus' broken body and shed blood. You know, allowing those of us who've decided to follow Jesus to just bask in the goodness of his forgiveness as he's you know, been allowed to play the role of savior for our sin. 
But that role of savior was only intended as a means to an end. And we don't have a tray of stuff that we can pass around today. So I just hope in the quietness of our hearts, we're going to pause and reflect on whether we've actually allowed the purpose of that forgiveness to take root. And given Jesus the rightful place of authority and influence in our lives, moment by moment, day by day. I hope that you'll take a moment and reflect on that, just in the quietness of your own heart right now. Reflect on, you know, in your financial life, in the things that you purchase, in what you desire to acquire, in your degree of generosity, in your faithfulness to tithe and to give to the purposes of God. Do you make those choices according to your own value system? Or do you consult what it says in the scriptures and what the person of Jesus taught and modeled and actually do it that way? You know, in, in another difficult area of our lives, in our sexuality, you know, think about that privately for a moment. Um, in what you think about, in who you align your life with, who you choose to date or marry, um, in your purity, in your faithfulness, you know, in what you watch or listen to or allow to fill your mind. Is the person of Jesus and what it says in the scriptures, your authority and your consulting voice? Or have you allowed God kind of a hands-off, you know, role in that part of your life? Like a rich young ruler, are you, are you allowing that part to be under your own authority? Think about, for an example, um, in a time of conflict, you know, another difficult situation. When you're in conflict, do you live out the pattern of biblical conflict resolution that Jesus taught and modeled? Is that your, your consulting guide? Or are you conflict averse and content with that? You know, do you, do you avoid and shirk conflict? Are you passive aggressive? Do you talk to, to other people instead of talking to the right people and quickly and confidentially and quietly making amends? Do you actually allow God to have a voice of influence in your life in those difficult situations or, or not? You know, when you have a difficult choice to make, do you go to prayer and try to allow God's voice to speak in your life? Do you go to the scriptures and search what it says? Do you go to close, trusted, faith-filled friends who can, in a sense, serve as the voice of God or point you to the scriptures or help you understand them and reconcile them to a greater degree? Or do you go with your gut? Do you make your own decision according to your own value system and just get people around you who are going to validate that for you? Fundamentally, gang, do you live in a way where you wish that God would bless what you're doing or do you actively discover what God blesses and then align your life with it and do it? This is a fundamentally difficult conversation for us to ask in the quietness and privacy of our own hearts. But gang, it matters. It is bedrock to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I gotta tell you, on behalf of the Subway sandwich artists out there, they're hoping that we get this one right. Because you and I all know that one of the greatest struggles that people in the watching world have with people who profess faith is that the faith that they profess is way different than the life that they live. They profess following Jesus, and yet in reality, they don't always walk that talk. And God doesn't expect us to be perfect because he knows that we're not. He knows that we're not Jesus. The cool thing about sending Jesus isn't, that ju isn't just that he died, it's that he rose again to make his life available, to empower us, to give us the strength to live his way. 
So he doesn't just say, you know, get your act together on your own. He says, I'll help you be my follower and disciple. But we got to get this right because the world is watching and they expect followers of Jesus to actually live a lifestyle that follows Jesus. So ask yourself whether Jesus is in fact your Lord and not just your Savior. Ask yourself whether you've given him permission to have leadership and influence in your life and whether functionally that looks like a default setting that goes to him and seeks to align your life with what he's doing instead of trying to get him to bless what you're doing. As we celebrate one of the bedrock anchors of Christianity, let's ask ourselves and challenge one another this week the tough but simple question as followers of Jesus, do we really follow Jesus? Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to come to you today and thank you for all that you've done out of love for us to make it possible to follow you. You paid the ultimate price. You endured the ultimate punishment to remedy our sin condition so that we could experience a new life with you. And I pray that we would be inspired by the opportunity of that today. Instead of being overwhelmed by the hardship or burden, that we would just be encouraged and inspired by the lengths that you've gone to to make following you possible. But I pray, Jesus, that we'd be abundantly clear that following you actually means following you. means recognizing the leader that you are, responding to your invitation to play that role of leader in our lives and then giving you permission in a, in a deliberate, default, go-to kind of way to be that voice of influence in our lives. Please be that more to every single one of us and to us as a church community so that we can more accurately, more fully, more comprehensively and more continuously resemble who you are personally and together as your bride and body as the church so that the watching world can see your love, can see your heart, can see your transforming power and would be drawn to you in the same way we are as your followers. Thank you in advance for all that you're going to do in that way. We love you and we pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.